You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Saturday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. As promised, we have a second episode of Herd Mentality coming your way right now. We had a ton of questions this week, a lot dealing with the loss to the Tennessee Titans. We dealt with that on Thursday, and today the questions are very much along the lines of big picture talking points and not related to the Tennessee Titans. So I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Tons of great stuff to get into. Let's get started. First one today comes from Ravi, who says, what are your thoughts on the running back pair of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss based on their performance this season? How would you rate them against elite pairs of running backs in the league like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt or Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott? I believe they have performed well and are a bit underrated. So my thoughts on Singletary and Moss is that they're fine. They're fine running backs. There's not a single defensive coordinator in the NFL that's going to lose sleep over figuring out how to contain Zach Moss or Devin Singletary. They are serviceable and the definition of average. Neither player has an elite trait or a trump card or something that makes you overly nervous. I mean, Singletary has some good twitch in short areas and runs hard. Moss is a physical downhill runner, but neither are particularly dangerous with the football in their hands. And so I think the Bills are pretty satisfied with this group and them being what they are and having the role that they have within the offense. But the Bills don't have a dynamic running back and have settled for serviceable options in the backfield. Ravi had a second question does your wife ever get jealous of the amount of time you spent during the offseason and now thinking about watching, defending, praising, and admiring Dawson Knox? Listen, first of all, feels good to be on the right side of the Dawson Knox conversation. Second of all, I don't really talk to my wife about Dawson Knox all that much. Uh, fortunately for us, I get to do this work full time. And so I get into my office about 5.15, 5.30 a.m. every day, and I wrap up sometime around 4 or 5 p.m., and uh, when I come out of the office, I'm not talking to her about Dawson Knox. You know, we're kind of focused in on having dinner and just enjoying time together as a family, so I don't really bleed a whole lot of that conversation into my talks with her, but she is aware of the way I think about Dawson Knox, and she is rooting for his success just like I am. The next one today comes from Zach, who says, do you think the Bills' week one loss to the Steelers will end up doing more good than bad? I feel like they spent all offseason seeing themselves as a Super Bowl favorite, then they got punched in the mouth, and it humbled them a little bit, and they have been straight routing teams since. Would love to hear your thoughts. So in Zach's defense, this was sent in before the Bills lost to the Tennessee Titans. However, I still want to address it, because... I think there is a lot of good that can come from losses. Every season is a journey. You have to go through adversity as a football team. You have to find out what you're made of. You got to see how you're going to respond. 
And with the right leadership and the right coaching, losses can sometimes be a good thing. Now, they don't help your record. They don't give you any boosts when it comes to standings. But as a football team, you can be better for them. And I think you can point to losses that the Bills have suffered throughout the Coach McDermott era and identify them as turning points for the franchise. I'll start with the first loss to the New England Patriots in the 2019 season where Josh Allen turned the ball over so many times, took that bad hit, couldn't finish the game, and the Bills lost a close game that included a pump block for a touchdown against them. That was a turning point. That was a good loss for the Bills because Josh Allen was humbled. He became a different player from that point forward. And the Bills learned a valuable lesson on taking care of the football and how that can have an impact on games. How about the playoff loss that year to the Houston Texans? The Bills unraveled in the second half. And I think the Bills needed to go through a game like that in the playoffs to set the stage for the team that they became in 2020. And we watched the 2020 season. And think about that loss to the Arizona Cardinals and how the Bills responded to the heartbreak and confided in what they were as a football team and the way they believed in themselves and how they responded winning every game the rest of the season, including two more playoff games. And look at how they responded to that Steelers game. The Bills literally went on the most dominant stretch in the history of the NFL the next four games. Now they've been humbled again against the Tennessee Titans, and I once again think the Bills can use this for good to set themselves up well to go on a big-time run here to close out the season. The next one today comes from Internet GM who says, I'm becoming annoyed at how little Boogie Basham is seeing the field. I personally think he's looked great in a few snaps that he's played, and he has one and a half sacks to show for it too. I know we are deep in the position, but I still think he's being underutilized. Are you in agreement? I must admit, I've been a Basham stan since he was in college. You know, I want to see more Boogie as well. I'm with you on this. I think the Bills definitely have a comfort level with playing Mario Addison and even F.A. Obata that has cut into his workload. But I think now that the Bills have played six games, they're going to have their bye week, and there's a long stretch ahead that Basham will see more opportunity. I've been impressed when he's been on the field. Plays extremely hard. I love the way he attacks the pocket. I love the way he pursues the football. I think he has a lot of upside as a run defender. And let's face it, next year, this is the Groot, Boogie, and AJ show for the Bills at defensive end. And so I want to see what they have in Basham as we want him to take a bigger role this year and is in line for a massive workload next year. Next one today comes from Spencer Brown fan account and very similar to one sent in by Drew. They said, I think we can all see one of our biggest problems for the Bills so far to address over the bye week is red zone efficiency issues. Could you dive a little bit more specifically into why those issues are present and what can be done to fix them? Is it more of a day bowl play calling thing? Is it just more of an execution thing? Or is it less tangible like being tougher and more gritty? Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for the great work. You know, the Bills have every ingredient necessary to be an exceptional red zone offense. They have a 
dual-threat quarterback in Josh Allen that's physical and is good with the ball in his hands as a runner. They have wide receivers that can separate. They have size at receiver. They have a tight end now in Dawson Knox that can make plays. I think what it comes down to is, first of all, execution. I think that's the number one thing, and I know that's kind of a boring answer, but they have to execute better in the condensed areas of the field. And secondly, I think that Brian Dable has wanted to run the ball a lot more this year in the red zone. And you'll hear a lot of football coaches talk about the importance of being able to run the football in the red zone. But when I see all these rushing attempts in the red zone and a lack of efficiency, I'm going to push back on that. So number one, execution, and number two, the emphasis for whatever reason on running the football in the red zone has absolutely been a thing so far this year. But back to the original point that I made in response to this question, the Bills have every single ingredient necessary to be an outstanding red zone offense. Folks, it's that time of year again where all four of the major sports are in action. Baseball, basketball, football, and hockey, and Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the football, baseball, basketball, and hockey action this season. Check out their new updated website. You can see it on your desktop or on your mobile device. And if you sign up today, you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked on to receive that bonus from basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC. They even have Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and bet online is where the game starts. The next one today comes from No Limits, who says, Do you think the NFL should expand outside of the United States? If your answer is yes, which city? So I want to see the game of football continue to expand outside of the United States. I do. I love seeing games in London. I love seeing them in Mexico City, Canada. There's talks of there being games in Germany in the future. I love all of that. I do have a hard time with the idea of a franchise being located outside of the United States. And the reason is, that's just going to be tough for that team. I mean, are free agents really going to go want to play for a franchise that is based in London and live away from their families for six, seven months a year? Is it really fair when it comes to the scheduling and the time differences? I don't think there's easy enough answers to those types of questions for me to think it's a good idea for a franchise to be located overseas. But I am for playing games all over the globe. Absolutely. I love that. I love that people across the globe are becoming passionate about football. I love my interactions with international fans. All of that is outstanding. And I'd advocate for there to be in international game every single week. But having a permanent franchise located somewhere like London, that's a tough, tough sell for me. The next one today comes from Owl Mountain, who says, non-Bills question sort of, but 
Since you analyzed multiple defensive backs as potential prospects for Buffalo, I have a question regarding Trayvon Diggs. He has played very well. However, turnovers are hard to sustain. Is he the real deal? How far off was the pre-draft analysis on Trayvon? What was missed, if anything? So Trayvon Diggs, Dallas Cowboys, Stephon Diggs' brother, he's having an awesome year for the Cowboys. Seven interceptions already on the season. And so let me read you the summary of my scouting report on Diggs, and then I'll offer a few more comments after that. This is what I said in the summary section on my report on Trayvon Diggs. A high school wide receiver, Diggs spent his first season in Tuscaloosa playing both sides of the football in addition to serving as a return specialist. He didn't exclusively play defense until 2017 during his sophomore season and showcased an impressive feel for coverage duties, especially for a guy who is relatively new to the position. At the next level, Diggs profiles as a zone corner, but he also excels in press coverage. Using him predominantly in an off-man type system would not be ideal, although his time at Alabama has exposed him to a variety of coverage techniques. Diggs profiles as a starting boundary corner at the next level. My player comp for Trayvon Diggs was Aqib Talib, and I had him ranked 50th on my draft board, and he got drafted number 51 overall by the Dallas Cowboys. And so reflecting on my player comparison and what I said about Diggs as a prospect, I feel pretty good about what he's turned into. I mean, his ball production certainly pops on tape, but there's still some inconsistency in his game. He's getting beat a fair amount. I mean, he's given up at least one catch of 35 yards in every single game over the last five. His run defense has been a struggle. His tackling has been poor and he struggled a lot last year. So I think Diggs has a high ceiling. You love the ball production. But for all the interceptions that he's making, people probably aren't focusing enough on what he's giving up in coverage, how he's defending the run, and how he's tackling. Now, those are all things that he can improve upon. And based on him being new to the position, I think that he has some untapped potential. So Dallas should be elated with what they have in Diggs. I think he has a bright future, and I think that the way he's delivered is pretty consistent with at least what I said about him before the draft. The next one today comes from Kevin, who says, could you discuss Cody Ford's future? Is it with the Bills? Does he have any trade value? I'll tell you what, doesn't look good for Cody Ford, especially when you consider how positively the team has spoken about Cody Ford. And even since he's been benched, Sean McDermott has said, we still believe in Cody Ford. Well, look at what's happened since the Bills drafted him. He platooned at right tackle as a rookie with Ty Inseki and had his share of ups and downs, got injured, moved to guard, struggled, got injured, gets a chance to start this year. Struggles, gets benched. I mean, he's just not on a good trajectory right now. So I don't think that he has much of a future with the Bills as a starter. I think he has a good chance to stick around as a backup, and I think the Bills should probably keep him around for depth. Offensive line depth in the NFL is tough to find. And uh, Cody Ford is a worthwhile piece of the roster. As far as trade value goes... I mean, maybe there is a team that goes back to their pre-draft assessment 
and likes what they think he can be. But there has to be a lot of discouragement based on what's actually happened so far in his NFL career. So without there being an injury, I don't really see a path back to the lineup for Cody Ford, and I think he's settling into a backup role. The next one today comes from Manor, who says, The podcast with your brother highlighted the love you had for the Bills as a kid, but I don't think you've ever addressed how your last name fits into the story. What was it like growing up as a Marino in the heart of Bills country? I'll tell you what. Two things come to mind when I consider growing up in Western New York with the last name Marino in the 90s. First of all, non-stop questions regarding, are you related to Dan Marino? And for as much as I wanted to say yes to people who asked me that, I am the world's worst liar. I literally can't do it. I can't pull it off. I don't think I've ever gotten away with a lie, and I struggle to even take myself seriously when I'm not being truthful, like even in joking matters where it's not serious, like saying, yeah, I am related to Dan Marino. Like I literally just can't pull it off. So that was never fun because I couldn't really trick people, and people always asked if I was related to Dan Marino. And the other thing that I got a ton of was, I don't believe that's really your last name. (laughs) Okay. I don't know what to say, man. Um, you know, I'm nine years old. I don't have an ID, but my last name's Marino and you can choose to believe that or not. So it was, are you related to Dan or I don't really believe that's your last name. So that's what I remember about being a Marino in Western New York during the nineties. This episode of Locked On Bills is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. It's a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's a place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. I personally love that McDonald's serves breakfast all day long. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. They have coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, orange, strawberry, salted caramel, so many great flavors. And look, maybe you want to try them, but you're not sure where to start. Get yourself a mixed box. That's where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. You could try them all and figure out which ones are your favorites. And not only are Built Bars the best tasting protein bars on the planet, they're healthy too. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. I've got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. The next one today comes from Joel, who says, Is there a player the Bills should target in free agency that has similar skills as Emmanuel Sanders? I would expect with the roster we have now that we can do what the Patriots did for so many years and get players that will come cheap because they have a chance to win a Super Bowl. All right, Joel, so I've looked at some of the free agent options 
And they're either guys that I expect to be really expensive or guys that don't necessarily perfectly fit the role that Emmanuel Sanders has. And so I'll give you the names that I came up with, but I think the most important thing to take away from my response to this answer is that replacing Emmanuel Sanders is critical. I mean, you've seen how important he is to this offense and how the Bills need a true outside guy opposite of Diggs. Beasley's a good slot player. Davis can do his stuff as the fourth receiver, but they need that other dude. And so from a free agency perspective, there are several big-time receivers that I'm just going to mention right now, not necessarily predicting or claiming or thinking the Bills will go after any of these players, but just worth putting it out there. Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Devontae Adams, Mike Williams, Cortland Sutton, and Michael Gallup. I mean, all of those players are going to get big-time contracts this offseason. If the Bills really wanted to go in to get one of those players, they could think about it. Now, the realistic free agent options that I put down are, number one, Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, if he doesn't retire, would love for him to come back. So we'll start there. The next player that comes to mind is T.Y. Hilton from the Indianapolis Colts. I think that's actually a really good option if he wants to continue playing. I think T.Y. Hilton can be similar to Sanders. And the last one is not necessarily a player that is stylistically similar to Emmanuel Sanders, but I think there could be a bargain-type deal in Tim Patrick from the Denver Broncos, who is a really good route runner, has good hands, has some good size to him. And he's really done well for Denver this year, filling in for the injured Jerry Judy. And so he's a player that interests me as well. Now, when it comes to the NFL draft, there are players that I really like. Um, These would all be first-round type players, but Jahan Dotson from Penn State, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, Chris Olave from Ohio State, John Mechie from Alabama, and Jamison Williams from Alabama. Those guys are all perfect if you wanted to go ahead and invest a high pick on a receiver to get a player that would come in on a rookie deal and profile as a long-term type player to pair with Diggs. And I'm pretty for that idea, uh, of course, if the Bills are able to address the interior offensive line in other ways. The next one today comes from Christian, who says, what do you look at to determine that a player who is a tackle in college would be better suited to play guard in the NFL or vice versa? Are there particular traits or skills? What are the main differences in the positions that make certain players better suited for one? It's a good question, Christian, especially as I keep delivering these NFL draft prospects to watch on Saturdays. And I'm telling you to watch college offensive tackles that I think are interior players in the NFL. So good question here. There's three things that I think help determine what spot they're going to play in the NFL. And they're all important. But length is first and foremost, you want guys with longer arms to play tackle. You're looking at 34-inch plus is ideal for an offensive tackle. At least 33-inch arms preferably 33 and a half plus. You're really looking for more than 34. That length is very important when you're pass blocking on the perimeter because it allows you to elongate the path of the rusher 
It increases your margin of error with your punch because you just have more reach. It helps you combat long-armed pass rushers like a Gregory Rousseau. Let's face it, trench battle in the NFL is all about hands and getting your hands on the opponent and being able to control the rep. Well, if you're blocking a guy with 35-inch arms and you only have 32 and three-quarters, you've got a lot to overcome there. And so length really, really matters when playing at offensive tackle. Number two is foot speed. You are blocking more dynamic, explosive pass rushers at offensive tackle than you are on the interior. And so you need to be able to frame blocks on an island playing tackle. And so foot speed really, really matters. You you have to have good foot speed to play tackle in the NFL. And you got to be able to redirect, take away the inside move, and be able to, to handle the speed when it threatens your outside hip. So foot speed and length. And the last thing is body control slash coordination. You have to be long. You have to be athletic. But you also have to be in control of your frame. And so when you project a player to tackle or guard, if they have length, foot speed, and body control, they can play tackle. If they're deficient in any of those areas, they're probably better suited to play guard. The next one today comes from Jeremy, and I love this question. He said, could you explain the differences between RPOs, which is a run-pass option, zone read, and play action? I know they are different and have different purposes, but they all seem to contain similar elements. A little tutorial on why they are different and what they are used for would be much appreciated. Great question, Jeremy. We talk about these things all the time, and um, I'm glad that you created this opportunity for us to talk about those differences so everyone can understand. So RPO, zone read, play action. Let's talk about them each individually And within that, hopefully you guys can identify the differences. Let's start with an RPO, run, pass, option. The offensive line, run blocks. The quarterback has the option to hand the football off to the running back or throw the football. And they're reading the linebacker. And based on what the linebacker does, they will either hand the ball off to the running back, or they will throw it. And you will see the quarterback handle the football, and they will always turn to hand the football off. And that's that point where the running back and the quarterback kind of get next to each other to handle that exchange. That's called the mesh point. And so while the quarterback has the ball at the mesh point, they either give it to that running back or they throw a pass, usually a slant route or a glance route. And they're reading the linebacker. And again, the offensive line is run blocking. So because they're run blocking, the quarterback has to make a very, very quick decision because in the NFL, offensive linemen cannot be more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage on a passing play. So if the quarterback chooses to pass it, they have to make that decision very, very quickly. A good example of an RPO play is the touchdown pass that Josh Allen had to Stephon Diggs against Tennessee. That was a run-pass option. And while seemingly a lot of people were upset about calls against the Titans that weren't made by the officials, the officials 
missed two Bills offensive linemen that were illegally down the field on that RPO. Very, very clearly beyond one yard from the line of scrimmage before Josh Allen threw the football. And so that's kind of the tricky thing about an RPO is your offensive line is run blocking. And um, if you're going to throw it, you better do it quick because if they get more than one yard down the field, it's a penalty. So RPO, run pass option, offensive line, run blocks, quarterback makes the decision based on reading a linebacker on whether to hand the football off to a running back or throw a pass to usually a glance route or a slant route. Zone read is only a run play. It's never a pass. So the offensive line is run blocking, and the quarterback decides whether he's going to hand the ball off to the running back or run it himself. He's reading the defensive end. So he reads the defensive end, and based on what that defensive end does, he either pulls the football and runs it himself or hands the football off to the running back. And again, there's that mesh point. So the mesh point happens. The quarterback reads the defensive end. Based on what they do, the quarterback either keeps it and runs it himself or hands it to the running back. So the offensive line run blocks, and the quarterback makes that decision at the mesh point based on what the defensive end does to either keep the football himself or hand it to the running back. Play action is only a pass play. It's usually a five to seven step drop by the quarterback that includes a fake handoff to the running back. The offensive line pass blocks. And so the the real benefit of the play fake here is the quarterback faking a handoff to the running back and selling that. Otherwise, it's a normal pass in terms of the receivers running routes. The offensive line is only pass blocking, and there's just that quick play fake to the running back. So to kind of wrap it up, on on a read option, the linemen are run blocking, the wide receivers are blocking run, and it's only a run play. On an RPO, the linemen are run blocking, the wide receivers are running routes, and the quarterback decides to hand it off or throw the football. And on play action, the linemen are pass blocking, the wide receivers are running routes, and they're simply a fake handoff to the running back within the drop of the quarterback before he throws the ball down the field. The next one today comes from Johnny and Sean. It says, thank you for your awesome podcast. My Buffalo Bills loving family listens to you daily and enjoys your insight. I've been a Bills fan since the early 60s, and even though we now live in Miami Dolphin territory, my Florida-born son has been made into a loyal member of Bills Mafia. He is a 20-something and doesn't have the history that I have, good and bad, following the team. He tells me that this is not the same old Bills and that I am gun-shy, always waiting for something bad to happen during the game. I try to get past the heartbreaking memories, but they always seem to linger. I truly believe this may be the year, but I've been disappointed so many times before. Do you hear this from other long-timers? I am ready once again to let down my guard, and I am all in on this team. Hope you can read this on Herd Mentality next week. Go Bills. Johnny and Sean, first of all, thank you for your support on the podcast. It, um, it's super cool to hear that you guys listen and, and enjoy, and um, it enhances your fandom. That's something that I love to hear. Now, I definitely have heard this, and I understand where you are coming from. 
I mean, this team has disappointed us so many times, but this team is different under Coach McDermott, and I think we all know that. The challenge, as I've said before, is not making this group pay for the sins of Dick Duran and Doug Marone and Rex Ryan and Chan Gailey, et cetera, et cetera. But football is meant to be enjoyed, and everyone is going to fan differently, but I continue to talk about how we yearned for a team like this for so long. We craved an upper echelon football team, and folks, we have it. We have it right now. So let's enjoy it and uh, enjoy the stretch run here as the Bills gear up for the rest of the regular season, which we're all expecting to end in the playoffs and hopefully a deep, deep playoff run here for the Buffalo Bills in 2020. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast and this week on the podcast. I hope you have a great weekend enjoying football. Unfortunately, no Bills football for you this weekend, but they're back in action at home next week against the Miami Dolphins. And so next week on Monday, you're going to hear from Greg Tomset and I. We're talking big picture stuff. Um, really good discussion. I've already had it with Greg. You'll you'll hear it on Monday talking about some of the dynamics of the coming offseason and the challenges ahead for Brandon Bean. So that's going to be awesome on Monday. Tuesday is herd mentality again. So if you have anything regarding the bills that you want me to address in the podcast next week, make sure you send it in. Uh, Joe at the draftnetwork.com is the email. You can also send me a DM on Twitter at the Joe Marino. And then Wednesday, we're going to get ready for the Miami Dolphins as the bills look to improve to five and two and sweep the Miami Dolphins once again. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Hope you have a great weekend, and I look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.